award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching and listening. we got a fun show for you today. Uh, we're kind of on the non-game side today. We're not talking about hunting and fishing, but we're going to talk about some cool creatures here in Tennessee. And uh, we'll get to our guest in just a minute. Mr. Don King helping me co-host. Yes, sir. Gra- great to uh, be here, Jason. Welcome back after your uh, trip out of town and yeah. bringing home some more gold for the uh, Wildcast effort. Hey, Wildcast was a finalist in the GSM Con Government Social Media Conference Awards. Stiff uh, competition yeah. from what I hear out yeah. there. We had some uh, good competition, but we were one of the top five finalists. Uh, didn't bring home the top prize, but we got a nice uh, certificate suitable for framing. All right, so. all right. <laughs> well, hanging on our wall of fame. Yeah, here. it's uh, at least the top five. That's always good. But uh, yes, and you know we couldn't do that or be as successful without our radio partners. Exactly. WJJM in Lewisburg. That's. We call them our flagship for the uh, Wildcast Extra. The idea, the spark of the idea for the extras came from them and uh, uh, Jeff Hayslip there at uh, WJJM and Power 94 in Lewisburg. And uh, they're on AM 1490, 94.3 FM and 92.5 FM as well. And we are on there with Wildcast, uh, the full show, Mm -hmm. Saturdays at 8 in the morning. And uh, the extras play twice a day at uh, 7.40 a.m. and 4.40 p.m. Drive time, prime time. So uh, we appreciate WJJM. It's great great to be on their air and and all our other radio partners as well. Yeah, our list is growing. And uh, if you are listening to the show and uh, want to have us on your network, give us a call. Yeah. Look us up, uh, tnwildcast.com, for the list of radio stations. It's there and all the information about this show. Uh, one thing I don't want to hit on before we get started is don't forget about our e-store, the hat that I'm wearing today. So if you're watching, you can see it. It's one of the newest additions to the to our e-store, shop.gooutdoorstennessee.com. Uh, it's got the new uh, TriStar logo that yeah, we've created. That's, that's nice. With, I like that. With some wildlife on it. Instead of stars, it's got wildlife yeah. in the three spots. So that's so, cool. So check that out. Go to our e-store. Uh, and then also go outdoorstennessee.com to buy your license. So we always encourage you to do that. Help support wildlife. Every dollar you spend goes to conservation. So. That's right. All right, well, we'll jump into our guest here. Mr. Josh Campbell is with us, Chief of Biodiversity, and Mallory Tate, a Wildlife Survey Manager here for the agency. So we're glad you guys are here. Absolutely. Yeah. Looking forward to it. We're going to talk all kinds of uh, fun stuff today, uh, non-game animals. But first, I wanted to jump in a little bit about you guys and, and tell us about who you are, what you do for the agency, kind of a little bit of your background and schooling and some of that stuff. So we'll start with Josh. Okay. Uh, so I'm Josh Campbell. I uh, just recently took over as Chief of Biodiversity. Um, uh, I've been with the agency almost 20 years. Uh, started out, I got my degree in wildlife fishery science at UT. Go Vols. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then uh, uh, shortly after I got hired on with the agency, I actually pursued and got my master's at MTSU. Hey, go Raiders. Uh, yeah. And, and my, <laughs> my first job with the agency, I stocked trout. Uh, so I was a long-haul guy that stocked from South Holston all the way down to Hiawassee. So mm. it's been about two and a half years. And wow. then I uh, made the jump from stocking trout to doing survey work for the biodiversity division. Uh-huh. So. 
Awesome, awesome. Mm. Well, you've done a great job. We've worked together quite a bit outside of Wildcast, and appreciate everything you do. Yes, I enjoy this job. I've, I've, I've loved biodiversity ever since I got into it. So yeah. it's been something different every day. Cool, cool. During Josh's school days, he got to run on the field too, from what I understand, right? Oh yeah, once yeah. or twice. Once yeah, or twice, yeah. So I, I was uh, a member of the football team. Yeah, from ninety-five through ninety-eight. So that's uh, awesome. Yeah, so I kind of refer to it as the good years. Hopefully, Hopple's going to restore those back. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, so I was a part of some good football teams uh, while I was there. So part of the national championship team. Yes, awesome. yeah, both the SEC championships and uh, the national championship as well. Wow. Congrats on yeah. that. Yeah, that's a good great. year. Yeah, I remember sitting in the stands for those games. That was a fun year. Yeah. It was, oh yeah, it's fun three years. So. <laughs> yeah, all those runs. Yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, well, Miss Mallory Tate, uh, Wildlife Survey Manager, tell us about yourself. You're fairly new to to TWRA. I'm, yeah, fairly new. Uh, I was hired on two years ago in biodiversity, but I've been volunteering for about five years before I was um, hired on. So got some experience with the agency and non-game and game and so i've been around a little while (laughs) awesome awesome so what do you do as a wildlife survey manager so my job is to survey and monitor and do research projects on the species of greatest conservation need here in tennessee so for the most part that's species that are in decline um some of the species it's just that they're so elusive we're not sure where their population stands Uh so my job is to answer some of those questions Awesome, awesome. That's a very important, very important role. So today we are going to cover, we got a list of things. Bats is the first thing on our list. So that's something you've been working on quite a bit, Mallory, with uh, doing some surveys and things like that. So tell us about that project and what that looks like, and we may have additional questions. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, So bats can't really be encompassed in just one project. They're one of those species that we're kind of looking at year-round, probably because there's so little known about bats before the uh, introduction of white-nose syndrome to Uh the United States. Um, So in the winter, we're getting kind of total population counts while they're hibernating, because that's when most of the bats are in one space, which is caves. Uh Um, During the spring, we're looking at spring migration. So the bats leave their hibernation areas and then move to their summer maternity roosts. But in the spring, they're especially vulnerable because they're dehydrated coming out of hibernation. They've been foraging a lot less, so they're weaker, and their immune systems are weaker. Uh, Even just their weight is about half we're looking at um, for certain species than it is during the summertime. Mm. Um, So they're making these huge journeys, like 400 miles to maternity colonies, the females are, um, at their weakest point, which is kind of crazy. Um, And then following them to their summer maternity colonies, figuring out where they're having their pups, where they're raising them, and then in the fall, again, that migration route, looking at it, um, and then looking at some of their behavior to figure out how they're um, foraging and preparing for that winter hibernation, which is also when the disease impacts them. Uh Um, So it's kind of full circle for bats. They consume quite a bit of our time, especially right now, um, because populations are declining so rapidly. Well, um, you, you mentioned white-nose syndrome. Is that something that we're still concerned about? I know it, it popped up back 2006 or seven ish We started seeing it. That's, is that still a big focus? It, yeah, it, it is. Um, 
<clears throat> because actually here recently another bat has been upgraded from threatened to endangered because of white nose syndrome. Okay. Uh, probably expect two more species within the next two years to be added to the federal list mm. uh, due to white nose syndrome. So uh, you, you are right. It did. Um, it, it was found in the U S in 2006, 2007. We found it here in Tennessee in 2010. Okay. Uh, and since then, it it pretty much went uh, statewide, uh, or at least the the counties that contain caves uh, in two years. So. Uh, it made a pretty quick s spread throughout the state, um, and it affects most of the bats that utilize the caves uh, during the wintertime. So it's, and we've seen some large declines for some species uh, throughout the state. And Mallory, I know that's really complicated your surveys, hasn't it? I mean, you know, keeping the protocols uh, of not transmitting the, the or spreading it you know beyond uh, where it is already. Yes, yeah, a good portion of my time is spent on decontamination right um my fiance actually complains about how the house always smells like rubbing alcohol or bleach so <laughs> yeah so oh, man. a lot of time spent making sure that we're not carrying that fungus um in places where we've picked it up and spreading it elsewhere right well can it can it hurt humans is that have it seemed to no as of right now yeah. it's really um just in bats or okay. affecting bats mm -hmm. other animals and humans can obviously carry the, the fungal spores right um but we cannot get white nose syndrome right. no. so that's that's why all the precautions to you know not to move it around and, and yes. use all the, the bleach and i've heard it's pretty uh when you go into these caves and things do these surveys it's a lot of work to to decontaminate decontaminate yourself and and get into some different clothes and that kind of thing yeah and it takes a lot of bit of time to plan too because you want to plan your equipment that you take in the caves and make sure you have what's necessary to conduct that survey but you also want to minimize the amount of equipment so you lessen your time with decon um, but then you don't ruin certain piece of equipment like cameras and mm. things like that 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 don't do too good with alcohol poured on them or yeah. bleach and things like that <laughs> yeah, so right. so it, it does take quite a bit of time to to plan decon so. Can you kind of uh, give us a, a quick overview of what a survey looks like? What are you doing when you go into a cave? Uh, if, you, if you can't share, that's fine. But what's some of the things that you do when you, you go into a cave? You're repelling in some cases. You're yeah. crawling. You're, what are you doing? It, it's going to vary. So the it's going to vary by the, the site okay. um, and, and depends on the size of the cave. Um, what's needed. Like like you said, some caves require rappelling. Um, I, I'm not big on ropes or ladders, so <laughs> I'll leave those to the other people. We do have staff that, like Mallory, is, is certified or trained in, in ropes and rappelling um, because the, we, there's over 10,000 caves in the state, uh, so some of them, they're not all walk-in. Mm -hmm. uh, some, some require the ropes. Uh, it also depends on the species we expect to see in those caves because um, uh, if, if we're going to go in and do gray bats, we expect to see uh, tens of thousands, uh, so that that changes how we count the bats. Um, some sites just uh, there's many species, but we expect to see fewer, so we count all the individuals. Because uh, with gray bats, we, we got to be in and out pretty quick, uh, because us being in those caves actually arouses the bats mm. during the winter time. So we want to be as 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 less disturbing to those bats as possible. Uh, the other species we can go in and count pretty quick. So, uh, but gray bats, it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, and, and their species that's endangered, uh, their, their recovery efforts, and, and they're recovering very well. Uh, there's four caves in the wintertime that are primarily used by gray bats, and, and uh, we count them every two years, and there'll be in excess of a million bats in those four caves. Wow. So um, it, it's pretty, pretty amazing. You go in a cave and you'll count or see about 400,000 bats. We got one that exceeds uh, half a million. 
Uh, so it's pretty remarkable to go in some of these caves and see the just the, the mass uh, of bats. So uh, just to kind of give you a perspective, Bracken Cave in, in Texas uh, has the largest colony of, of free-tail bats in the world. And, and there's an excess around July, about 20 million bats in Bracken Cave. So, Man. Yeah. So it, it you can get high numbers pretty quick depending on the species. That's crazy. I couldn't imagine, well, going into these caves, <laughs> is it is it kind of eerie, kind of spooky going into these caves, these bats flying around you or could be flying around? Or do they get spooked at some point and just ever flown around you and yeah yeah i mean it's just but it's part of the job I but they're not yeah i'd say less spooky and more kind of like awe-inspiring this yeah, was the yeah. first year i got to do the gray bat count with twra um that one the agencies limit numbers because the bats do arouse pretty easily sure. um so as few people as possible to get the job done so this was the first year i got to do that and i was covered in chills before and after <laughs> so it was really cool yeah, because sometimes you can get in there and the bats are, like, you're this close to the bats. They're just inches away from you. Yeah. But then you go on other sites and the bats are, you know, hundreds of feet away and you're trying to count. Um, so so you can get pretty close. But they're they're generally sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, our body heats and things like that changes the temperature so they arouse. Some sites the temperature is a little bit warmer. So um, just our presence will have more of an impact. And, and uh-huh. so they'll start arousing. So uh, we've really got to move pretty quick. Quick in, and, quick yep. out then. Yep. So. And and that count part is it a visual only or or how does that how does that work? Well, here in here in Tennessee, it's an area estimate, so we try to uh, determine how many bats per square foot. And, uh-huh. and somebody at some point in time actually took a square foot and counted the bats within that square foot, so we get a rough uh, idea of what that estimate is. Uh, but then other states, um, uh, they actually use cameras. Uh-huh. Um, to, to try to put dots on noses and things like that. So, and obviously, you need some light source when you're in there to at least momentarily. Or for how long do you leave a light on uh, to to as, access the count? As seconds, okay. hopefully, just so that you can kind of get your measurement gotcha. length and width, length and width, uh-huh. whatever, um, <laughs> and then you move on because uh-huh. we're trying to decrease the disturbance. And if, um, for one reason or another, we do have cameras with us, um, it's minimal shots and then, again, move on. Mm. And I guess that keeping the disturbance to a minimum is the key, for, especially for white-nose syndrome, isn't it? Because that's the deal. They wake up when they're not supposed to, and they go out in elements that they're not supposed to be in. And that's what takes their lives, I guess. Yeah, and I, th- I think on some levels, though, white nose has allowed us to learn a little bit more because we thought they probably didn't forage in Tennessee. Uh-huh. And, and through the, the research that, you know, like Mallory was doing when she was at UT and others, they actually forage more than what we thought. Okay. Um, depending uh, on the species. Yeah, depending on the species. And, and so uh, so we have learned that. And um, But the big thing, like with gray bats, the reason why they're, they were listed is because the repeated disturbance um, over time was really leading to, to loss of, of animals in those sites and things like that. Uh-huh. So. Especially for grape. So they were listed before white-nose syndrome. Mm-hmm. And gray bats are the one species um, in Tennessee that do require caves year-round. So like I talked about life cycles earlier, they're having all of their life cycles disrupted by caving recreationally. Right. So not only while they're kind of weakened and supposed to be saving energy while they're in torpor during the winter time but while they're having pups people are going into these caves because we've got beautiful caves here in tennessee but 
um, it disrupts the mothers and they can drop pups and the pups land on the floor and you know become scraps for a raccoon um, so it's kind of that continued disruption that's yeah. really impacted the gray bats so what kind of regulations are there out there for for going into some of these caves? I know some of them are protected and are are blocked in some cases, but I guess there's still some open that people can get into. Well, yeah. So it uh, so caves on private lands are based on the the ownership and, gotcha. and the property owners whether they allow or or don't allow you to enter the caves. Mm-hmm. Uh, some state agencies uh, like TDEC have a permitting system for some of their caves, uh, and then of course there are a number of caves in in the state that are gated. Um, and require additional permission and keyed access. Uh, and then, then caves on TWRD lands are closed year-round, uh, well, unless you have a scientific collection permit or permission from, from the agents at the enter for a valid reason. So, okay, that's uh, good to know. Yeah, because several species that are in decline actually utilize the caves year-round, even though, like in the summertime, you would expect northern longear bats and tricolor bats to be on the landscape. But they do utilize those caves in the wintertime. Uh, and, and so there is, because the the, the temperature in the caves, there is sort of a uh, induced hibernation, uh, even though it's not as long as it would be in the, the wintertime. So we really want our caves to act like a refuge mm-hmm. for, for those bats in the summertime to minimize and eliminate as much disturbance as possible. Yeah. Um, hey, speaking of uh, refuges, uh, what about the man-made cave that, uh, you know, I hadn't heard anything about it lately but i yep. know you were were heavily involved with it yeah so we we partnered uh, shortly after white nose hit the state um uh, we partnered with tnc because we we're trying to figure out uh um different ways to to implement research uh-huh. um and and maybe biocontrols and things like that 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 are, are created as part of the the ongoing research um and you can't take something that's um uh, created in a lab, like a, a form of biocontrol that's not FDA and EPA approved, and just take it and put it in into the wild. Uh, you got to put it in a controlled situation, controlled environment. So, uh, and then then the the other thought was having a cave that you could actually decontaminate itself, because uh, um, over time, as white nose enters the system, the fungal loads increase oh, uh, within that okay. system, and so as the fungal loads increase. Your, your bat, um, uh, the number of bats that become effective also increase. Sure. So if we could go in there and, and decon the cave, uh-huh. maybe we can hold those white nose levels at the year one uh, rates. And so, so TNC uh, developed a project, and we built it literally right next door to Bellamy Cave. Um, on on Bellamy Cave Refuge up in, just outside of Clarksville. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically box culverts stacked beside each other uh-huh. uh, and mimics a cave. Uh, we, we've really never gotten a, a large number of gray bats. We're hoping that some would come from Bellamy and, and enter this artificial site. And uh-huh. we can kind of test a lot of different hypotheses with, with the white nose. But it was either microclimate things with temperature and moisture that just never did get right. And so we've not had a large number of bats okay. utilize the the um the cave but we're actually trying to utilize it for for other forms of white nose research but it of course there's money and funding and things like that sure. that we haven't been able to secure yet for that so all right well speaking of artificial didn't you do a project in wilson county or other counties where you're putting up fake trees and, yes and have to t- tell us about that project yeah so that's a, a that's pretty much a culmination of a a larger project where we're trying to find 
maternity colonies on TWRA lands for the endangered Indiana bat. Okay. Uh, for us to do a lot of work on our lands, we have to uh, go in and assess the, the impacts to endangered species. And so uh, if we're cutting timber, the, that could potentially impact in, uh, Indiana bats. And so we had to, we wanted to find if there was any Indiana bats on our lands um, and, and learn from that. And so we started putting transmitters on these bats. Uh, and like Mallory said, they fly a long ways. Um, but we tried to use caves in the proximity of, of one particular WMA and turned them all loose and they all left the state. Mm. And so every year we change caves <laughs> and put more and more transmitters out only to find out they leave the state. Uh, so after about, I guess it was year four, uh, put uh, about uh, 20 or so, probably more than that, transmitters on bats from uh -huh. um, a, a cave over in, in White County. And the bats just went everywhere. So we tracked them. Um, and, and the plane, because we use airplanes to track the animals, because okay. we can't get, we can't keep, keep up with them with our vehicles. Uh -huh. they, they fly fast enough. And of course, there's not always a road underneath that bat. Right. Um, and so the plane was flying over Center Lake to refuel and heard a beep. And he was like, hey, there's beeps up here. So we're like, okay. So we went and checked it out. And we found a maternity colony in uh, Wilson County. And we ended up finding four or five different maternity colonies up there okay. uh, that first year. Uh, but we've tracked bats to Kentucky, Indiana, uh, Missouri, Mississippi, Georgia, and Alabama. And so wow. we've kind of changed the biology and what we know about the species just from that project that's been initiated here in Tennessee because um, it, it really created some issues for some other agencies outside of the state because they didn't know they had Indiana bats, and hey, uh, you do. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so we've learned a lot with that. But we ended up working with a landowner uh, for one of the farms where we ended up having Indiana bats show up, and, and they showed up every year. That was the the neat thing about it was every huh. time we in, in implemented this project, they would show up at this farm. We'd do a drive by, the other there, mm. and um, but some of the trees that they were using started falling down because the trees they use in the summertime are ephemeral. Um, so they're only good for about one or two years because they like a dead tree, preferably mm -hmm. where the bar bark is popped. And right. it creates a void where the, uh -huh. the females can get under and raise their pups. And so those trees were falling down. So we were like, well, maybe we can work with the landowners, lease the property, and, and um, put some artificial bark up. And so we ended up getting some funding um, and were able to lease one particular farm. Uh, and two years ago, we actually put up our first set of artificial bark, which is really just kind of a plastic or a polymer that, that mimics real tree bark. Mm -hmm. And it creates that void and put it up on telephone poles. And within about six months, we had our first maternity colony. Oh, so, good. Awesome. And then additional efforts, we've identified another farm. Uh, and I guess, what, last week? Last week, hey, yeah. That's breaking news on Wildcat. Yeah, right. <laughs> put some more Brandon Bark up. Uh, it's the artificial bark. And so... Uh, and that, that's a farm we identified additional maternity colonies on through telemetry. So, uh, but awesome. that that project we started originally back in 2009. So, it's it's taken some time, but it's come full circle. So we're putting on the ground conservation actions in place for an endangered species. And it's really nice to see the bats finding these yeah. artificial roosts mm -hmm. so quickly. And actually, the first farm we've had them use roosts there two years. So. Yeah. It wasn't just one year, and then they're like, yeah, this is right. for me. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, there's a lot of fidelity with bats in, in their, their winter sites and their summer sites. So once they find that and that gets established, they keep coming back. Uh -huh. um, and with Indiana bats, it's a little more tricky because the the ephemeral nature of those maternity roosts. So, but they keep coming back. There's something there they like, and so mm -hmm. we want to try to maintain that over time. 
good for the landowner too, who's willing to uh, yes. work with us on on situations like that. That's Absolutely, great. and he's enjoyed it. So oh, yeah, took a little man. more convincing of his of his wife, but uh, <laughs> he, he enjoyed it. So and and they they've been great partners and assets to the project. Good. So. Yeah, there's a there's a huge benefit having bats around your area and. Uh, maybe you could speak on some of that, but I mean, I think it's cool, you know, and, and they're there already. You may not know it, but they're there already just to give them that extra habitat and the extra spot and safe zone to do that or places to, to do that. It's awesome. Yeah. So, so all the bats here in Tennessee are insectivores, so they eat yeah. nothing but insects. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't have any vampire bats. Uh, so all our <laughs> are you sure? No. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the, one of the common questions we get, uh, especially when we go to school groups, but, uh-huh. um, but yeah, so everything is, is, um, Insectivores, so they they're the number one nighttime predator of flying insects. Uh, they save a lot of money for the agriculture industry because they they eat a lot of agricultural sure. pests. Uh, and it's we're talking billions annually across the country that they save farmers uh, just for pesticides that they don't have to put out. Uh, so so it's pretty amazing what they do now they don't eat quite as many mosquitoes as one might think because <laughs> it takes a lot of little bitty mosquitoes to, to fill up fill a, a belly yeah, yeah so so they'll eat beetles and and flies and things like that so but they, they'll eat the occasional mosquito but uh-huh. uh, they wouldn't be necessarily the best form of mosquito control but uh, they do do save a lot of money for the agriculture industry each year would you would you encourage folks to put up uh, bat boxes or bat colony home or little homes or whatever around your your gardens and things to help yeah any any type of habitat that you can provide for bats we're we're definitely in favor of i think some of the research we're finding out i think it would be best to hang multiple bat boxes Mm -hmm. with different uh, micro climates so not necessarily all full sun all the time but maybe get a little bit less full sun just so they can move around and adjust with the temperatures because uh, there's some issues with some uh, pup mortality and bats getting overheated in bat, bat boxes. So if you put one out, I would recommend you put two or three, um, and then get the let them choose, right? Absolutely, yeah. and and they can move as those temperatures change throughout the day. They can move um, when they change roost. But the the other thing too is to be patient. Uh, if you hang a bat box up today, that doesn't mean you have bats tomorrow, right? Or it even take, the summer. Yes, it, it could take three to five years before you get a, a colony if ever established in a bat box so um, it does take some time because when you put that bat box up you're competing with all the other habitat around your your bat box sure. so it, that's either got to become unavailable or 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 lost before they find yours so uh-huh. um, it, it, we we definitely recommend that when people get uh, bats in their houses and things like that to kind of help offset that when they do the exclusion but but yeah multiple bat boxes would be great is there a key to, to, to knowing if you have bats on your property, things to look for, or, or get out at night and watch them fly? I, I would recommend just get out at night right, right when the sun's starting to set and, and spend about 20, 30 minutes out there uh, uh, watching. Um, just kind of sitting still? Yes. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. That's cool. I'm going to have to do that. Yeah. Get out and watch them. And- it is fun right at dusk, especially, you know, you see, you see a lot of activity around yeah. our place. Well, um, before we run out of time, this went fast, by yeah. the way. We didn't even get to the other side. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be next time. <laughs> next time. Uh, Mallory, I enjoyed watching some of your, your Instagram posts when you were in school and doing, so you were really active with bats then too, yes. right? Doing a lot of studies in, in yeah, college. Yeah, I actually uh, got my master's researching Indiana bats and then the tricolored bat, which is also in decline and expected to be listed. 
here soon. We always count on Mallory to tag us in those posts, and I got to see them, so that was good. <laughs> good for you for all the hands-on experience and the volunteering up front. Thank that, you. that really makes a difference with, with the working for us full-time. It really does. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Congratulations on the recent hire and the promotion. Thank yes. you. Yes. Yeah. 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 Promotion. Yeah. And Josh oh, yeah. just recently promoted to, to chief, so that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Don. Well, that's going to wrap it up. I guess so. Uh, thank you all for tuning in, for watching, for listening. This is Tennessee Wildcast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.